A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Oh, hey, besties, and welcome to the Self Love Club, the podcast chatting about stuff that matters, real talk and lols. You're joined, as always, by me, your host and creator of the self-love club, Belle Crawford. On the show, part one of my conversation with the truth doctor, Dr. Courtney Tracy, a world-renowned psychotherapist, clinical entrepreneur and mental health content creator who has amassed over 2 million followers by sharing relatable and no BS mental health information. We chat about Dr. Courtney's background, substance abuse and how studying psychology helped her to recover mental health, the difference between self-help and therapy, and why treating our mental and physical health together is so important. Dr. Courtney is so vibrant and intelligent. I'm pumped to share this with you. And you can watch videos of our conversation at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. All the details of where you'll find us in the show notes. Right, let's get into it. Dr. Courtney, I don't know whether to call you the truth doctor. I mean, obviously you're Dr. Courtney. Welcome to the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, I am a world-renowned psychotherapist, a clinical entrepreneur, and a mental health content creator. I started working in severe addictions and mental health about eight, nine years ago, opened up my own treatment center, then sold that uh, during the pandemic while also starting my social media platforms as the truth doctor on TikTok and Instagram. And now I'm almost at about 2 million followers across all my platforms and just getting started. And I won last year, 2021 nutrition and wellness influencer of the year from American influencer awards for the platform. So it's Really exciting. Oh, well done. You should be proud of all the work you're doing, everything you're putting out there. That's where I discovered you on TikTok. It's becoming my favorite. Once you get the algorithm right and you find people to follow that you really enjoy their content, I'm fine. It's like my new favorite now over. I mean, I still (laughs) like Instagram, but TikTok's great. Yeah, it really is. TikTok's just the place where people are more human and and honestly more entertaining. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So we're going to go through all of that soon, but take us back. Where did you grow up? And growing up, did you know what you wanted to do? Well, I was born and raised in Orange County, California. I, I live here now again, and I had a really difficult upbringing I was raised essentially in poverty in a multi-generational household uh, with very minimal needs met. So I saw a lot of mental health issues growing up and I experienced a lot of mental health issues growing up um, and I still do. So my upbringing led me to being diagnosed with trauma disorders, anxiety disorders, borderline personality disorder, um, and that was difficult to deal with. So I turned to substances for a lot of my life. And then when I was 16, I took my first psychology class and I realized, oh, all the questions that I had about why do I feel this way? Why does my mom act like this? Like what's going on with everybody in the world? Uh, the people were looking for answers to those questions. And I wanted to 
figure out what the answers were to those questions for myself. And once I started to heal, I realized I wanted to provide those answers to other people, to those same questions that people were struggling with just like me. And now I can do that with millions of people. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool. And again, we'll go through all of that. But how did you get yourself to a point of you obviously did that paper and you realized that's what you wanted to do. How did you get yourself through that point of healing? And, you know, you said that you turned to substance abuse. What sort of things were you doing for yourself to get through that? Yeah, so the substance use was pretty um, pervasive. And that was actually my first coping skill. Not a healthy one, not an adaptive one, but it was my first coping skill. And as I was going through my education, that's actually where I was learning about what was going on in my mind and what was going on in my body. So most people learn that through going to therapy or going to sometimes even Alcoholics or Narcotics Anonymous to heal from their substance use. And really for me, it was just my studies. It was my what I was learning and that it was giving me the answers. So it's like I learned that I wasn't my thoughts. I learned that uh, emotions aren't only in my mind, they're also in my body. And so I was able to just understand that what I was experiencing was mental health issues. And it wasn't that there was something personally wrong with me. And that's really what got me through it. Yeah. Now, what are some of the most common things you treat? So from there, you became a therapist, you did all your studies. What are some of the most common things and probably some of the things your family and yourself experience that you treat now? Yeah. So I treated addiction for the last eight to nine years um, with a really unique perspective that sometimes it's not sobriety fully. That's the answer long term. It's figuring out what's making you want to drink or smoke marijuana, for example, like pervasively, negatively. Why? How can you create a life that you don't want to drown yourself in substances? It's not really about the substances. It's about the why. So addiction primarily And with addiction comes all the underlying issues like anxiety and depression or suicidality, low self-esteem, stress, all of those things underlie why we numb out with using substances. So I've got a really broad array of mental health issues that I treat, but I would say primarily it's addiction, trauma, and anxiety. Yeah. What was it like when you first started treating these things? Obviously, there's sometimes some very dangerous and sensitive situations going where people, um, you know, their lives are at stake here. What was that like for you as a new therapist, a new doctor to treat? It was very difficult because I jumped right into really severe co-occurring and, you know, addictive disorders. So, there were people who they they truly just didn't want to live. As someone who is, you know, I'm assigned to sit in the room with them when I'm first licensed or even gaining my licensure, I felt like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm a human being. And what I found out was that no matter the severity of the person sitting in front of me, if I could be a human, they could be a human. And so often they were running from their own humanity. So that was really helpful. I think the most difficult parts were when somebody would lose their life, you know, because becoming a therapist, most people's reason for that is that they care about the sanctity of human life. They want people to survive. They want them to be happy and healthy. And you only have so much control as a therapist or any any profession trying to help another person. So to watch or see or hear about somebody's recovery not working out for them, 
it's hard because you get you got to know them and you don't know them as well as family and friends, but you know probably some things about them that they never told their family and friends um, and that you knew made them such an incredible person. So it can be really hard to deal with very high risk populations. How did, I guess, over time experience, but how did you learn to cope with that where you would have these situations come up? Yeah, I think for me, it's actually some of the skills that I learned while I was healing. And and one of those is just, it's radical acceptance. It's that we cannot control other people. Um, Sometimes bad things happen. And so it's really just, yeah, radical acceptance of what can happen in the world. But it's also realizing that again, you only have so much control. It doesn't mean you're a bad therapist if something goes wrong. It doesn't mean they were a bad person, your client, if they do A, B, and C. So it's really just staying grounded, staying aware of what my responses are going to be to some topics or some situations. Um, And you learn that becoming a therapist, something called transference and counter-transference. It's is my client being too emotional towards me? And if so, why? And at times, am I attaching emotionally to my client? Um, and there's skills and boundaries that we learn becoming a therapist that really helps with that. Yeah. I really like what you said before about being more human with people. Not that people aren't, but, and I've heard in some of <laughs> your work that I've, I've listened to as a therapist, sometimes you can, you know, different people connect with others, but being able to connect with people on that level that maybe someone who's going to therapy might think, oh, this person's judging me or they're above me or they don't understand. But I really like what you said about being more human because that's what people need in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a large part of why my platforms have even grown because I've gone from doing what I was doing in the therapy room with one to 20 people a week to doing it with millions of people. And they can see that, oh, even somebody with 12 years of clinical experience that's healed from the, mostly healed from what she's experienced still has days where she doesn't want to get out of bed or she has too, she put too much work on her plate or she forgot to eat breakfast. And so it gives people permission to not have to be perfect. And it gives people permission to have mental health struggles either in the past or in the present and potentially in the future and not have that steer them away from whatever it is that they wanna do in their life, from profession to starting a family, to being on social media and sharing whatever their story is. Yeah, how did the social media thing start? Did you just start posting content and videos? Like, I mean, it's blown up. How did that all begin? So I went through a major family trauma in the beginning of 2019, probably the biggest traumatic episode and experience I've ever had while I had my treatment center, while I was a licensed therapist. And I really started plummeting in terms of my mental health, so much so that I had to move out of the city that I was in, move back to my hometown, try to surround myself with family and make different choices and heal parts of myself that I found out were were unhealed. And with that, I realized that there was a part of me, I'm usually a very outspoken person, but as I was licensed and had this treatment center, I found myself thinking, I'm, I shouldn't be sharing with anybody how I'm feeling. And, and then I'm like, wait, is this stigma? Is this me saying, oh no, there's something mentally wrong with me right now. Hide away. Don't talk to anybody about it. And the truth was that I was struggling. And so I talked to my cousin who is a social media manager and I said, hey, I have a story I want to tell 
I kind of want to get on Instagram as a therapist. And I'm like, but I don't know what to make my handle. And my husband's like, well, you're the point of what you're trying to do is show up and tell the truth. And you just got your doctor of clinical psychology degree. Why don't you call yourself the truth doctor? It's all you've ever done is tell the truth. It's really helped people, your own truth and help people find theirs. I'm like, okay. So I made an Instagram. My goal for the first 12 months was 5,000 followers. After 12 months of Instagram and TikTok, I was at over a million. And it really seemed to just blow up because I was using cuss words. I was a therapist telling her own story, dressing cool, showing tattoos. And I think it connected with a community that was otherwise resistant to therapy or thought it was a blank slate or, you know, baseline or boring or judgmental. And so I came with a perspective like, no, here's the truth. All therapists are humans. We all struggle. And here's some tips and tools to get you through that. And it really, it went off. Yeah, well done. And and by just telling your truth, you were able to do that. I think what you're saying as well, like I think whatever our job is or your job is to help people who are experiencing things, if then you are experiencing it, you sort of feel like maybe that's devaluing yourself as what you your profession, but that's not that's not at all it. That's just being human, right? We all experience things, even if our profession is to help others with that same thing that you perhaps were struggling with. Yeah, I think that we really have a culture across the world where if you have a profession, you must be a professional at all times. And people don't realize that doctors that are treating really serious illnesses at hospitals, they go home and they have a glass of wine, they kick their feet up and they watch reality TV. Like they're human beings, you know? And that's just like one example. But what I'm trying to do is diffuse the gap between showing up outwardly as a professional and being a human within. And instead, can we be a human within and on the outside and just have professional behaviors versus professional tone, professional appearance, professional everything always. It's very demeaning to the human experience. Yeah. So people like myself can go and look through your content to find out more about your story. But what sorts of truths were you sharing about yourself with others that really resonated? One of them was that I used to do a lot of substances. And I think what I was trying to do there was break down the stigma that people who use substances are immoral. They are choosing to ignore and hurt the people around them. And that if you have a history of addiction, you cannot and will not succeed because you are forever an addict in your brain. I disprove that myth, just simply being who I am. And I think another really big one is sharing about borderline personality disorder that's called borderline because say you're borderline psychotic, which is not true. It can be the case for some people based off their presentation, but otherwise it's a general mental health illness that's developed from trauma, mostly in your childhood. And we know how trauma treats the body and the mind and we can recover from that. We can, and I'm living proof of that as well. So I think those were the two main things. It's that growing up in poverty, struggling with substances, struggling with mental illness, and still succeeding. We'll get back to the rest of our conversation with Dr. Courtney Tracy, the truth doctor, soon. But first, we're an independent podcast, and there are some easy ways you can support us. Make sure you hit follow to subscribe on your podcast app. Hit follow on Spotify or Apple. We're on all of them. Turn on automatic downloads. Leave us a five-star rating, and if you're enjoying listening, write us a kind review. 
Show us where you're listening and post on your Instagram story and tag us at Self Love Club Podcast so we can see and share. Send the link to your friends, share the Self Love Club with everyone you know, and you can keep up with us and follow at Self Love Club Podcast and me, Belle, at Belle Crawford on Instagram. Also, I'm at Belle underscore. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Gore Crawford on TikTok. Let's get back into our chat with the Truth Doctor. In some of your work as well, and just then, you talk about how our mental health affects our physical health and vice versa. What are some ways that our mental health or, you know, say you're experiencing borderline personality disorder or anxiety, what ways, I mean, obviously we know when you're anxious it has physical uh, symptoms or effects on your body, but what sorts of ways does it then show up in your physical body? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is what we've realized, there was a study done in the 90s by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente, and they, it was called the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And what they did was they took a look at what you may have experienced in childhood up to 10 different things like emotional abuse or having somebody with mental illness in your household. Um, And they did a longitudinal study of What's the effects? What are the physical effects, physical mental health effects of people that experience these mental health issues in their environment or in their childhood? And what we found out was, yes, of course, if you are being physically or emotionally harmed in your household as a child, then you're probably going to have anxiety. You know, your muscles are going to tense up. You're going to get stomach aches and headaches. And we know that that happens in the moment when you're experiencing emotions. Found out from that study and onward was that continuous exposure to emotional distress leads to continuous exposure of physical distress and continuous physical distress can lead chronic lung disease. It can lead to liver issues, bronchitis, heart failure, um, hypertension. And so basically our mental health is lives in our body and it can start to deteriorate it. It actually is like mental health is physical health. Yeah, it's so true. And and thank you for sharing that with us because I think obviously that's being destigmatized, but so we I think we often treat the two separately, like you take care of your mental health, you take care of your physical health, but if you don't take care of one or the other, it will affect end up affecting both, you know, in your body and turn into something else. Yeah, right. I mean, the mind, our mind is not separate, right? Our mind lives in our brain. Our brain is a physical organ that's connected to the rest of our body. So even like, even if we want to think that our emotions are only in our mind and our thoughts aren't actually real, those things create actual changes in our brain and body. And it's I'm so glad that it's starting to sort of be debunked because we're going to get a lot more healing long-term as a result of it. Because do you think most therapists understand that or treat that? You know, when you're going through therapy for something for your mental health, what are some ways we can treat both at the same time? I think that first question that you just said was really, it was a good one to touch on. I don't think most therapists treat their clients as though emotions affect your physical health. 
And there's obviously some interventions that just focus on talk therapy, for example, or emotional labeling. And all of those things can be the first steps to addressing your physical health as well as your mental health. But there are really specific interventions that allow you to work with a therapist or on your own to address that connection. So there is a therapy called somatic experiencing, and this soma means body. So it's experiencing your body in session. So doing a body scan, really connecting to like, what does it feel like to think about your elbow? What does it feel like to think about your thighs? Are they tense? Are they not? When do they get tense? What specific emotions are you experiencing when your body feels a certain way? So that would be like in the therapy room. But what we know from studies of mental health and emotional health being connected, a book I would recommend is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And he gives so many tips and tools on how to get emotions out of the body, even when you're not in the therapy room, like yoga or stretching or doing a 90 degree angle with your feet in the air on a wall, because that helps your blood circulation, which may slow your heart rate, which may reduce your anxiety because your heart may beat faster when you're anxious. So any type of physical movement, any type of physical movement, and for people who are physically impaired or physically disabled, you can, when you move your eyes back and forth, even it activates similar parts of your brain that allow your brain to start to process everything that it's holding within. And that reminds me of something I saw on your on your social media about when you're anxious, there is one thing you should do and that is get up because I think a lot of the time those of us who experience anxiety and I know this for myself, it's like you need to get out of bed because if you lie in bed in an anxious spiral, it's not going to help. It's just going to get worse and worse. You're not going to go back to sleep. So why is it so important to get up when you're in bed anxious? It's important to get up when you're anxious because when you're anxious, you're usually in of one or more essentially trauma responses. But more than likely, you're frozen. It's the freeze response. So your muscles are tense, probably holding your breath, but your heart may be racing a bunch and your thoughts can be racing or they can be silent. When we don't move, what our brain thinks, because our mind is in our brain, but our brain doesn't have its own mind, right? So our brain thinks, oh, if you're sitting there and staying still, then this must be working. Nobody's attacking you. Like the house isn't on fire. You seem to be safe in this place right now. And that's all the brain knows. It knows you're chilling, you're relaxed to a degree, you're not doing anything cool. But your mind knows like, this isn't good. Like I've been in bed for a few days, but your brain isn't going to motivate you to get you out because your brain's like, cool, this is working. I don't want to do anything in the first place. So you have to get up and like kickstart your brain. And almost what happens is you get up out of bed and your brain goes, wait a minute, we're not supposed to be in bed. Why did we just get out of bed? What's going on? And maybe like you're a little bit more anxious because you're having this reaction, but you're telling your brain, it's not okay to lay in bed. You need to stop telling me to lay in bed. Laying in bed is not something that we're going to do anymore. Yeah, no, I really liked that. I thought that was such good, a good advice. Now, I've also seen that you talk about self-help and the difference with therapy because these days you can read so many books, you can watch so many things, you can listen to so many podcasts and it's all self-help and it's all really great that we're doing that. But what is the mm -hmm. difference between self-help and therapy? And is it important for us to do both? It is so important to do both. As a therapist, one of the most difficult things for me when I'm working with clients 
And, and it's okay that this is difficult. Doesn't mean the client is difficult. It's just a difficult experience for both of us is when the work is done in the session and then there's no work being done outside of the session. Sometimes progress can still happen, but it becomes contained and conditioned within the experience of client and therapist. And we don't necessarily want that. So we should be helping ourselves outside of therapy at the same time. And if we can't afford therapy because it's inaccessible or we don't have a therapist in our area that can treat what it is that we need treated, we should feel confident enough that there are some products, services, or things on the internet that we can turn to that can help us heal. And, and I think another thing is the benefit of therapy, right? Instead of just self-help is you get an objective person telling you what it is that you're saying, what it is that you said you were feeling last week that you're not feeling now. We help track the things that you say and pull out. So when you're telling us an emotional experience and you're feeling the emotions, that's going to affect the decision that you're going to make based off that emotional experience. But for us, we aren't living the emotional experience. We're just hearing about it. So we can help you make more logical and rational decisions. But again, both are very, very, very important. And hopefully both are accessible. Yeah, definitely. And I liked what you said as well and what the podcast I was listening to where self-help's great and we're not saying don't do that because that's probably why some people are listening to this is they want to work on themselves and they want to be the best version of themselves. But you said that we can't replace self-help with like thinking that it's therapy because they're very different. Yes, they are very different. And you know, something that I've heard, it's kind of like, it's like, oh yeah, I'm like the therapist of my friend group or something, for example, but you aren't objective, right? You can't be objective because maybe you don't want your friend to be with that person anymore. Or maybe you have a really strict opinion about dieting or mental health in general, and that's going to infuse and inform what your response is going to be. And especially for you as yourself, right? Mm. It's like, oh, if we're struggling with low self-esteem and the main reason is because we ourselves have been comparing ourselves to people around us as an example, or the media or whatever it is, if we only have our own mind to try to convince us that we don't need low self-esteem, it's going to be hard because our mind is the thing that's telling us that we should have low self-esteem. So it's important to maintain that separation between what is actual therapy, which also comes with like a lot of years of education, understanding of interventions, and then what is self-help or help from your support system. Yeah, definitely. And, and like you say, therapy is personalized to you, not something that's generalized, not to necessarily your exact situation, right? Oh, yes, exactly. So like self-help books, for example, this is one of like the best examples that I like to give is you may pick up a self-help book for depression because you're feeling depressed and you have that same book. And 10 years later, you're experiencing depression again, but you don't have any other books. That book is not going to tr magically transform and change to include all the 10 years of new research. It's not going to remember what it is that you were depressed about 10 years ago and the lessons that you learned and help you remember what those are. It's just going to stay a static source of information that you needed way back then. That's only relevant for the most part back then. And so engaging in therapy in the therapeutic process, we're tracking for you. It's up to date and it's personalized. We hear, it's not like you can't talk to the book and the book gives you answers. The book is assuming the answers that you're looking for without knowing the questions that you're asking. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes people 
maybe good on them for doing some work and doing self-help, but they might actually need proper therapy and, and it could be a, you know, a quite serious situation where they're actually needing proper therapy rather than just not, I don't want to say just, but you know what I mean? Like they need a bit more than reading a self-help book to help them in a certain situation. Yeah, completely. And I, one thing that comes up for me with that is like trauma, trauma or the symptoms of PTSD can include like being afraid to leave your house or having really chronic nightmares. And a book isn't necessarily what you need in those moments. Sometimes you need a real human being sitting in front of you telling you what is reality and what is not reality and and confirming and affirming your experience. We are connective beings at our core. We have specific parts in our brain that allow us to read facial expressions, feed off the energy of the other person um, and create a safe space for someone else. And while a book can be a safe space, if we can escape out of our environment and reality and sort of dive into the content, it's not a safe space that actually exists, you know, and the therapy room can be that. Yeah, trauma is a big one. I mean, you have experienced it. People listening probably have experienced their own traumas and then that then affects a person's life in a number of different ways. What sort of ways can that show up for people? And then I guess another question off that, I don't want to like do too many questions at once, but can you heal from that trauma and respond differently? Yes. Well, into the second one that will inform the first one. So you can absolutely heal from trauma. It used to, we used to think that mental illness was permanent, right? Like, or, you know, whatever we experienced before we're 25, then our brain just stops growing. But the thing is, is that's not true. There's something called neurogenesis, which is new neural pathways can be made in your brain. Um, and what, what that means is like, When you experience trauma, one of the main things that can happen is you get stuck in a body and mind loop. So somebody makes a facial expression that looks like the person that hurt you. You have this very intense visceral and emotional response. And that's because you, your brain has a pattern of see that facial expression, have this response or hear about this place, have this response. And our brain can go into those loops at night as well, which is what can cause such chronic nightmares because we're just, that system is active even while we're sleeping. And so the best thing about neurogenesis is that not only is it just, oh, you can learn new things, like learn a language in your forties when they used to think that wasn't possible unless you started learning when you were like three, that can also be applied to mental health. It's you can not only weaken the systems that have been strengthened from your trauma, like chronic trauma creates chronic system activation and it strengthens that, but it's not permanent. So not only can you build a new neural pathway for that facial expression, for example, to have a completely new reaction, like, oh, they have that facial expression. Well, after a couple months of therapy and self-help, now I've created an ability for myself to pause for three, five seconds and say, wait, is this an alarming situation? Is this a dangerous person? So not only can you build new pathways, but as you're building that new pathway, you are weakening the other one because you're not using it. One of the first things I learned in that psychology class in high school was the term, use it or lose it. And that's with the neurons in your brain. If you don't use them, they eventually degenerate and die. The ones that you do use get strengthened. So as you're healing from your trauma, you're building new pathways and weakening the old ones and the ones you don't want, and that's healing in the brain. So what sort of therapy do people need to do these kinds of things where you can retrain and, and, and reprogram your brain? Yeah, there's a lot of different modalities and interventions. 
But for anybody listening that's been through trauma or that has any mental health issues, honestly, regardless of what your diagnosis is or what your symptoms are, it's really important to find a practitioner and a therapist that's going to treat your mind and your body. So if you're going home day after day, every time you're in session and you're just getting a worksheet or you're just getting, how are you? And then you're just spilling your guts out of what happened in the last week and then you leave. That's not true healing. You need to understand, you need to be getting education about exactly what I just said of what's going on in your brain. What does healing really look like? How does mental health show up in your body? And then you need to be able to fully understand that for yourself. One, so you don't get attached to therapy and you start to truly know these things about yourself, not just having that information live in your therapist's brain, which is why I show up on social media, but also because you need to be able to move your body and understand why. If you are sitting still, being emotional and processing over and over again, those emotions are still staying in your body because you're sitting still, you're probably getting tense, probably not feeling the greatest. And so you want a therapist that's going to help you regulate your body and give you tips and tools of what to do when you're not in session. Again, that self-help piece. If you're, th- I think that's the best, the best way to summarize it. If your therapist is not teaching you how to help yourself outside of session, both physically and mentally, then you're probably not getting the best service. Mm. And like you say, therapy can be, not everyone can afford it or, you know, inaccessible for some people. One question I get asked when I've talked about having therapy is how did you find the right therapist? And I guess for someone who's had trauma, they particularly need the right type of therapist, right? Absolutely. And I love you for asking that question because so many, most people have trauma to some degree and maybe presenting in anxiety or depression, um, but there's an underlying reason. And while, so because most people experience some type of trauma that leads to mental health issues, most therapists will say that they can treat the trauma, but that's not actually the case. Sometimes therapists are qualified to just treat the anxiety that was the result of the trauma or the depression. But when you actually get deep into the trauma, you need a therapist that is truly trauma informed, that really understands how your brain has changed from trauma and somebody that's trauma informed and is going to know, is this particular exercise in the intervention that is best for my client? Is this particular exercise going to potentially re-traumatize them? Are they not ready to talk about this specific topic? Are they not ready to have that full body reactivity moment when I ask them to talk about their mom or that thing that happened that day with that man or whatever it was? And so I think when you're looking for a therapist, you should ask, like, how do you treat trauma? Do you specialize in trauma or do you just know what it is? Because a lot of people around the world know what it is and they've maybe done a couple courses on it, but they don't specifically treat it. And that can lead to surface level solutions to the anxiety or depression, but it'll also lead them to returning back to therapy again when something else happens in their life that surfaces that original trauma response in the body. Yeah, that's so right. I think a lot of us have done therapy over the years and then same stuff keeps happening and we keep having the same reaction because we need to treat the core thing, not just the symptoms of that like anxiety or depression. There's something deeper 
that is causing that. And it can be really scary to treat that. I think that's why a lot of people often don't want to or their bodies have frozen it inside, buried it down so that sometimes you even forget that something has happened because it's trying to protect you, right? Yeah, absolutely. We can really forget And, you know, that's why there's some really specific trauma therapies like EMDR, which is that eye movement uh, desensitization reprocessing. It's where you're actually moving out your eyes back and forth with your therapist. And that's causing your brain to like kind of do weird things and unlock these systems and kind of break them up a little bit. And so uh, in doing that, you're really like tapping into those core, core memories Um, that are probably going to cause you a very emotional response. And so that's a particular intervention that really gets to the root. And so like if your therapist is like, oh, I treat trauma, but all you're doing is coming in every day and talking to them. One, no, trauma is stored in the body. And two, if you really aren't tapping into those core memories, then those core memories are going to be connected to these experiences that seem similar and it's going to keep getting resurfaced. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club. Part two of this conversation with the Truth Doctor will be out next week. Make sure you hit follow on your podcast app now so it's in your feed as soon as it's live. And you can also follow us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram to watch videos, keep up with all of our content, and you'll find me at Belle Crawford as well. I'll catch you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.